everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. If you've listened to her previous episodes, you've probably fell in love with her tenacity and willingness to advocate not only for herself, but for the entire maternal health world. Tune in and hear what Ebony has been up to this year and how she is finding joy and imperfect moments. Good morning, Ebony. Thanks so much for agreeing to be here today. And you're my first update guest, so I'm really excited to see and hear how you've been doing over the last eight months since we last recorded. I know a lot has changed for you, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Let's first start with a little introduction about you and your family, and then we'll dive into the update. Sure. Well, of course, it's awesome to be back um, and to share. So much has happened, and I can't wait to dive into it. So I'm Ebony Ford. I'm a native of Washington, D.C. I'm a wife of going on 12 years. Um, I'm a mom of two a five-year-old and a six-month-old. I'm a two-time NICU mom. I am a founder um, of a nonprofit called Miracle Mamas. I am a maternal health advocate, a prematurity advocate, overall lover of all things maternal health and prematurity due to my journey. Um, I'm an angel mom. Um, So, of course, um, infant loss is close to my heart uh, as we are in October. And I'm also in school um, on top of all of that. I'm a grad school student, so busy, busy life, but a really full one. Wow, you could say that again. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and dive into the update. So we last recorded about eight months ago in February. Let's talk about what's been going on the last eight months. So in February, I was uh, pretty pregnant. I'm expecting my son, Roman. Um, really just navigating the fear of potentially having another micropremie. Um, my daughter was born at 26 weeks. And so, um, you know, with help syndrome, which is what caused me to have my daughter early, they tell you to anticipate having your next baby earlier. And so I was really mm-hmm. just navigating having a different medical team this time, uh, really feeling well cared for and, you know, advocating for myself. Um, but shortly after we recorded, some symptoms of preeclampsia emerged in March. And uh, my team was uh, very, very diligent in getting me on medication. So I was admitted three times in the month of March Mm -hmm. due to preeclampsia. And that final last week of March, they decided to keep me in the hospital um, until I gave birth, whenever that would be, just because my numbers were very unstable. We had also discovered that my Mm -hmm. son was intrauterine growth restricted due to the preeclampsia. So he fell from once being in the 40th percentile down to the 6th percentile, down into the 4th wow. percentile. And so oh he was having some cord flow issues and they just wanted to keep me for the blood pressure and to also monitor that his heart rate during one of my ultrasounds went from the 150s down into the 40s and they just weren't comfortable sending me home. So I got admitted at the hospital I was admitted at Um, they are a brand new hospital. And so their NICU is not a level four. Um, I think it's like a level Mm -hmm. two. So they can only take babies who are 32 weeks and over and a particular weight and over. Um, I was 31, well, 30 weeks going on 31 weeks. However, with my baby being 
growth restricted, he would not have met the weight restriction. So they decided to transfer me to their other location, which was an hour and a half away from home. Um, oh my extremely stressful, but it happened to be in my hometown where my family is. So um, mm. getting transferred was not what I wanted by any stretch. Um, but it's what we felt like we had to do to, you know, keep me safe, keep baby safe. I was admitted there until we gave birth. And about five days into my stay, um, I began to develop some upper abdominal pain. My blood pressure went from pretty controlled to it completely tanked. The medicine tanked my blood pressure down to like 90 over 70. And then it brought it back up and then it just went so high they couldn't control it. So I was on magnesium my entire stay. Anybody who's had magnesium know it feels like liquid flu. Um, it feels horrible. So I went through that for four straight days. I couldn't eat. Um, oh couldn't gosh. get out of the bed. Just not very fun. Um, and that one eventful morning on April 6th, um, that pain on, on my right side just intensified. They decided to do an ultrasound of my liver, do some extra blood tests, and that's how we were able to see. Um, and also an x-ray. Um, I had fluid building on my lungs, my liver enzymes were rising, and of course my blood pressure was out of control. So they made the decision to not wait until Hup Syndrome completely kicked in to go ahead and deliver my son. So on April the 6th, uh, my son was born. He weighed 2 pounds, 13 ounces. He was born at 31 weeks on the dot. Um, so he went straight wow. to NICU, um, was breathing on his own doing doing amazing um they only put them on CPAP because that's just their regulation that babies have to be on it till 32 weeks um but he got several breaks off okay. he did great um he did have some low sugar numbers um but overall very very uneventful stay in the beginning um I opted to have him transferred closer to home to the NICU where my daughter stayed and it's also the NICU that I work for I run their support group and so um, I was able to get him transferred closer to home at nine days old, and uh, that obviously made life so much easier. So we spent the next five weeks there, um, where, again, his NICU stay was fairly uneventful. We had a few um, issues with um, hypothermia. Hypothermia, he would lose his his you know body heat because he was so tiny, but other than that, did amazing. Um, 43 days, he came home to us um, at four pounds, 10 ounces. Um, and we really just spent these last few months just adjusting to having two children and um, having our daughter really get adjusted to him. Um, I left one piece out about March. Shortly after we last talked, my daughter was diagnosed with autism. And oh. so um, that was a, a surprise, but not quite the surprise. So for the last few years, I had suspected it, but I was always told by a speech therapist, pediatrician, she does not fit the bill. She just seems like she has a developmental delay due to prematurity. And so that's what we stuck with. You know, we just supported her speech because that was the only issue there was a, de a delay with. Um, but when she went into pre-K, it just became um, so obvious through testing um, that she is autistic. But she... Uh, I think she got under the radar, one, because of the prematurity, and two, because she's extremely intelligent. Um, she is reading on a second grade level, and she's in kindergarten. Wow. So um, they believe that she has Asperger's, and I am I'm pretty inclined to believe so as well, um, just because of the different things. So getting adjusted to that while being in the hospital 
um, you know, then having the baby, bringing the baby home, wondering how she was going to do with him. But she did amazing. She jumped into big sister roles so fast, uh, wanting to help with bottles and diapers. And even now, if he cries a little too long than she wants, she's like running to get us like, Roman, Roman, come get Roman. Um, so it's been beautiful. But navigating that, going back to school, I had taken a semester off while he was in the NICU. Well, a term off, rather, while he was in the NICU. And um, I went back in July. So I am back in school, back in grad school, navigating that. Um, I have amazing moderators who helped my support groups continue to run and keep going uh, while I was in the NICU on those few days where I wasn't wow. able to jump in. So that's been amazing. Um, I'm really just navigating this new life. Um, you know, my husband and I have started trying to decide if we want a third and final child kind of talking through that and what that would look like for us um, now with two children and not just one at home. So it's been a very, very eventful eight months, but a really, really amazing one um, to have watched him grown from, you know, fourth percentile to now he is on the regular growth chart as of Tuesday. Wow. Um, That's he's back amazing. on the regular growth chart. He's 17 pounds. Um, he is spinning, but which means he's more than quadrupled his weight since he came home. Um, he's fitting, you know, the appropriate clothes, which is huge for us micro preview parents. My daughter was one wearing six month clothes. So the fact that he's six month wearing six month clothes is like huge to me. Um, no wow. delays as far as we can see it. And so, um, again, busy, but really, really amazing last eight months, I must say. Sounds like it. I'm kind of tired for you, Ebony. <laughs> yeah, girl. In particular, having two kids, one under one year old and going to grad school. Yeah, it's a lot, Man. but it's worth it. It's definitely worth yeah. it. Are you comfortable sharing what you're going to grad school for? Absolutely. So I got my undergrad in clinical psychology, but I decided mm -hmm. to shift a bit and go into forensic psychology. So that's what my master's oh, will cool. be in. That's so cool. I want to back up to almost the beginning of your update when you were talking about having new providers. We'll definitely link your other two episodes so everyone knows where to start and kind of knows the history of your experience with medical providers. But I just want to unpack a little bit more the way that having a provider who I'm assuming advocated for you this go around versus a provider who was pretty dismissive of your symptoms, particularly when you and your husband were going to fly. The difference is, I can't even say how amazing um, this round has been for us. I made a decision before we even got pregnant to get a different team just to see if you know we could have a, a very different experience granted I am more educated on the symptoms of preeclampsia and you know all of that that I was not my first pregnancy but I'm also more educated on the healthcare system and the disparities mm -hmm. and so I wanted to go to a different team get a fresh start and so what I did was I took my medical records for as soon as I found out I was pregnant and I went into this particular practice. I looked up their numbers, their C-section rates, all of the above. Mm -hmm. 
and I sat down with the midwife, the um, MFM, which is the high-risk doctor, and the OB, and just said, look, this is what happened to me. This is my records. What would you have done differently? And one by one, they all went around and said, this is what we believe happened. And it all basically alluded to the fact that I had risk factors, very obvious risk factors for preeclampsia. However, at that last fateful appointment, my regular physician was not there. So I got to see someone different. And that person was dismissive. So everyone basically said, had he listened to your concerns and did your regular normal blood work, the preeclampsia would have been caught. You could have stayed in the hospital or been on medicine and been home managing. You would have had more time and your daughter would not have gone through all of the things that she's gone through medically because of prematurity. She may have still been Mm -hmm. born premature, but she wouldn't have been extremely premature at 26 weeks. And so that was enough for me to say, okay, let's give this team a shot. I tell everyone, you are not locked into a doctor. You are not locked into a practice. You know, treat it like an interview. And if at any point they are not listening to you, your concerns are not being heard, you're not happy, shop around. I don't care if you're 38 weeks pregnant. If they're not listening to you and you don't feel comfortable go to another provider but I felt amazing I felt comfortable and it was a very new experience for me mainly because my whole team not that I intended it to be this way but both my entire team um, were persons of color and both of my doctors were men which I had never experienced Mm -hmm. before and so you know having male providers was a very different experience Um, I tell people all the time they they really treated me like I was their daughter. They cared for me like I was, wow. you know, their daughter or their wife. Um, the care was so personal. And, you know, they were just very empathetic to what I had gone through and birth trauma. They were, you know, just super, just aware, sometimes hyper aware um, of what I had gone through. And they would, you know, ask me if it was okay to ask certain questions or to talk about certain things. I have zero complaints. Um, for the seven, almost eight months of my pregnancy with that practice. Although my pregnancy ended early, I owe how well my son did and is doing and how well I did after birth to that team because they pulled the, I mean, at the right second, they pulled the plug um, before we could chart into, because the last time I went from preeclampsia to help syndrome and the snap of a finger it ended up on life support and I did not want that same experience. And they prevented that. Absolutely prevented that. Um, even with the the magnesium, it not only helped to keep me from getting sicker and to manage my blood pressure, but it also provides neuroprotection for the baby. So it kept my son from having brain bleed. So everything they did was just super strategic. And I just tell women all the time, anyone of childbearing age needs to know Um, how to advocate for themselves, how to have a partner, whether it's your actual romantic partner, a parent, a friend, whomever who can advocate for you when you cannot. I also educated my husband on what I wanted. He came to every single appointment. And I know that's not possible for everyone, but at the end, they need to know what your wishes are, what you do and do not want for you and for your baby. Mm -hmm. So they can speak for you in case you were, you know, otherwise incapacitated. And so just having those, you know, bricks, just that foundation of advocacy really set me up for success. Wow. I'm so impressed by you. 
I, I changed providers as well between my first and second pregnancy, but it was more about deciding to have a VBAC versus a repeat C-section. And so deciding to have the VBAC is why I changed providers because my previous provider literally was not allowed to do them because of staffing. They had a very small team. And in order to do a VBAC at our hospital system, you had to have doctors on grounds 24 hours a day. And so mm-hmm. it was a little different, but looking back outside of the VBAC, I don't know that I would have known to, to switch providers because I definitely didn't know it in my first pregnancy. I didn't, I didn't think about it. I didn't know that that was a thing that you could do. It's, I kind of grew up with the adage of, well, this is your doctor. You just do what they say. Obviously that's drastically changed since I had my first daughter, um, through like my perinatal trauma and the things that I've gone through having to advocate for myself. My husband's a great advocate as well for me, but you know, I've learned a lot more about what I want and what I don't want and having a voice. And I just applaud you for taking care of yourself and ultimately taking care of Roman and your entire family. Like that's, that's incredible. And I'm so thankful that your team did their due diligence and got you guys here to this day as safely as possible. It's just, it's so nice. It's so refreshing to hear a positive experience. Absolutely. This, this birth experience was very redemptive for me. Um, in so so many ways, um, the pregnancy, you know, just cherishing every single week, every day, um, I cherished, I documented a lot more, you know, my daughter's pregnancy, I had no clue it would end. So I really took a lot for granted. And I was also living in fear. You know, we had had so many losses before her. So I was so scared to document. I was so scared to do things. I put myself on bed rest. This pregnancy, I decided to live, you know, live and do all the things. The only thing I I regret, honestly, is that I didn't do my maternity shoot earlier. Um, And honestly, I only missed my baby shower by one week. (laughs) Uh, literally mm-hmm. one week exactly. Um, so I kind of wish I would have bumped that up a little bit. But those are the only things that I regret. Um, and even those are minor, you know. Um, you know, I, I took a lot of pictures every week. But my my biggest, I guess the biggest redeeming moment is the care team that I did. Um, knowing that I did right, not just by myself, but by my son. And um, I actually had a moment, um, I'm actually going to post this today on my social media. Um, so many of many know that I am an um, ambassador for March of Dimes. And we had an mm-hmm. event a few weeks ago um, where I was able to speak and share my story. It's the first time I've shared my story as a two-time NICU mom now. And so we had to, you know, we updated everyone on what had happened. And at the end of the night, there's 600 people at this event. The end of the night, we're getting ready to leave. I turn and a gentleman who's been sitting next to me all night long at the opposite, the table across from me turned towards me and my face dropped. I was sitting next to my high risk doctor all night and had oh, no yeah. clue. Mind you, wow. we were supposed to leave the kids with my mother-in-law. Something happened. She only kept one kid. And so Roman was there with us. And so he was wow. able to meet the baby and he had not seen me since I got transferred to that other hospital an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. And he had been wondering what happened to me. What was the update? Did she turn out okay? And there I was with the baby. So it wasn't just redemptive for me. It was redemptive for him. I got a picture of him holding Roman. 
and all of that. So it was a really, really beautiful moment um, all in all. But yeah, I, I have no regrets about advocating for myself, about taking those different steps to make sure that I had a different outcome. Wow, that's incredible. It just, like I said, I don't know that I kind of would, I don't know that I would have had the same amount of fortitude and the same amount of proactiveness. And I am, I'm just so thankful that it was completely different. And two, like, let's add the notion that your, your birth story isn't quote unquote perfect. Like you were a NICU mom, Roman was delivered early. Like you said, you didn't, was it this pregnancy you didn't get your uh, maternity shoot? Either one. Yeah. I didn't do it for either pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was not quote unquote perfect. This pregnancy was not quote unquote perfect, but that doesn't mean it can't be redemptive. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you feel that? And and when you, okay, great. Yeah. I mean, it's because even I was talking with a friend just this morning uh, where she and I are hosting a baby shower and I shared with her a couple weeks ago of how baby showers can kind of be a little bittersweet for me. Um, just knowing that I no longer going to have any more children because of the hysterectomy. And, um, it's, it's such a divine tension of this immense joy that I, that I get to celebrate a good friend, but then the bitter part is like, I will never have another baby shower or never even have another baby. And this year in particular, it's been a little, a little more pronounced, I would say, because my daughter's now four. And so it's, you know, kind of the time that, you know, we would probably be thinking about a third. We always said we would have only two, but now that we're in parenthood, like we love children, we want more. Um, and who knows, God might open that door in another beautiful way. But I I appreciate that you're holding that space for there's a bit of sadness in you not getting the baby shower, not having the maternity photos, but then too, like this immense joy with having such a redemptive experience this go around. I I would hope also that you're super proud of yourself for the work that you did. I'm assuming with the help and support of your partner. But yeah, I, ju- I just want to commend you. I mean, I'm definitely proud of you for advocating for yourself. That's not always easy. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's not easy, but again, super duper worth it. Um, Totally. To just educate yourself, you know, ahead of time. And, I, you know, that's my mission to get to as many women as I can, you know, before they end up in this situation, ideally, before they even get pregnant, you know, um, to educate yeah. them on, you know, what can happen. Not that we're trying to fear monger, but you need to know that pregnancy isn't always rainbows. And, you know, you just need to know what can happen. And, um, you know, like you said, you know, I didn't get the the maternity shoot, but I did have a baby shower. I wasn't pregnant at my baby shower, um, but I had one with my daughter. I had it with my son. Um, and it was, it was still beautiful. You know, people were, it really kind of turned into a moment for me. People weren't expecting me to be there because I was only one week out of a C-section, a classical Mm. C-section at that. And people weren't expecting me to be there. So when I walked in, it kind of turned into like a celebration for me as well. So uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful healing moment. 
Um, and we were celebrating that same day my son was transferred home. So it was kind of like a welcome to D.C., oh my God, mama's here kind of party. So it turned into something beautiful. So even the moments that are not perfect can be redemptive in the sweetest way. Wow, I love that. It makes me think of one of my favorite sayings, don't wait to celebrate. Mm. And I think that was a beautiful picture of what you did. Your baby shower was not perfect. Uh, Roman was in the NICU, but also being transferred back home and you got to celebrate you. I mean, it just, I just love your, and I just love your courage and the way that you're choosing to find joy in these imperfect moments. We have to, life is not perfect. It is often not fair. It is unpredictable. (laughs) And if we're waiting for perfect moments, life will pass us by. We have the opportunity to make our lives what we want them to be. We find ways, you know, like even with my, my pregnancy with my son, we were supposed to go to Disney World. I ended up on the hospital for my daughter's birthday. I ended up in the hospital on my daughter's birthday. And so my family didn't get to fly to Disney. But what did we do? We ran out and got a bunch of Disney stuff. And my family proceeded to still have a small party for my daughter. Uh, wasn't the plan, but she wasn't disappointed because she didn't even know she was going to Disney World. So we still made something beautiful out of it. And I, I just think wow. that's what we have to do. That's what life is about. Just, you know, making the best. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, can we unpack a little bit more the advocacy work that you're doing? You mentioned earlier you're running a support group. You're also running Miracle Mamas LLC. And you have your own podcast. So let's talk a little bit more about each of those ventures. Sure. So... During the pandemic, I was stuck at home with a two-year-old who was on oxygen, um, afraid of this virus that we knew nothing about. And so I had all of these amazing friends that I had met on Instagram who were also preemie moms. And a friend had introduced me to the Clubhouse app. And so we were all home. We were all talking all day anyway. And so I was like, let's get on the Clubhouse app. Let's, Let's see what this thing is about. So I went on, figured out how to use it, created a room. And it was like five or six of us. We would come on like at lunchtime while the kids were napping and just chat and chill. And before I realized it, it became like an everyday thing. Then it kind of spaced out a bit as the world opened like once or twice a week. And then I started making it at set times. And we would just start talking about specific things about being, you know, preemie parents. And, you know, one day Instagram, I mean, not Instagram. Clubhouse sent me a message and was like, you're eligible for a club now because you've been meeting at this same time, you know, for a month. What would you like to name your club? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Uh, we all have miracles. Let's just call it Miracle Mamas. And so mm-hmm. the club Miracle Mamas was born. And that club, you know, went from five or six of us to a dozen of us. And then it has continued to grow to now over 360-something people are a part of this club on Clubhouse. Um, So that's how Clubhouse was born. But um, about a year later, one of the young ladies who had been in the Miracle Mamas Club with us was a premium mom. She said to me, you know, what you're doing here in the club, you know, sending people, you know, food when their babies are in the hospital, helping people with co-pays 
you're doing games, um, you know, game nights and things like that, you need to do this in a more formal sense. You need to do this so that this can pay you back. Um, and, you know, just so you're more formal, she said, check your cash app. Well, I checked my cash app and she had sent me the money to file an LLC in my state. And so Miracle Mama's LLC was literally a gift. Um, and wow. so I filed my paperwork and, you know, all of my speaking engagements and all of that, I started filtering that through. But then I realized, OK, I need a 501c3 as well. And so I went through the process to start that. And then that birthed Miracle Mamas Matter. I don't put the matters on it because everybody just knows Miracle Mamas. Um, but I have an LLC and I have a 501c3. I also have an LLC called Ebony Ford Speaks. So when I have speaking engagements, um, anything I do involving like paid opportunities, it all filters mm-hmm. through that. Um, but my heart is really with Miracle Mamas and just uh, building this not just support group, but also building this, you know, consultancy firm. So we help hospitals and organizations find their place within the maternal health crisis, um, helping them to help us end this crisis. The United States is the yeah. most dangerous place to have a baby in a developed world. And it just should not be that way, especially since we are leaders in technology. Um, it's just really sad that a 22-week, a 21-week baby can survive here, but its mother may not. Very sad. And so we help hospitals with that. But on the mom side, um, we help parents and caregivers of the premature, the medically fragile, and the disabled um, with all kinds of resources and referrals. Uh, we also host game nights. We actually just had one last Friday. Um, and we give away, you know, gift cards and um, self-care boxes and all these things for Aww. these parents who are, you know, knees deep, you know, in medical care, their parents and their nurses, their parents and their, you know, PT, they're doing PT and OT and, you know, all the things just to make life a little bit easier to give them a bit of a break. Of course, the babies get on, um, you know, they run in on Zoom and, you know, we all just kind of get to, you know, love on them. But it's a really, really, um, it's an amazing thing that I've been blessed to do. Um, it's not anything that I saw myself doing. Let's say that, um, you know, if you would have told me in the NICU that I'd be helping anybody through anything, I would have laughed because I didn't know how I was getting through it. But, you yeah. know, that's that's how this all began is through my Instagram. You know, it started yeah. as a, a NICU journal for my daughter, uh, for my family to kind of see her progress. And then I started sharing life at home and just being transparent. And people found me. Thousands of people found me because nobody was talking about NICU babies on Instagram. Nobody was highlighting the journeys five years ago. Now there's a million preemie pages, but there were only like three or four of us who were really sharing the real and so you know people kind of refer to me as a og preemie influencer whatever that means (laughs) um but that's how my page has grown um and you know it just created a brand in and of itself and so that is miracle mamas the podcast really came from my blog i created a website on my daughter's second birthday called and she shall com, and I really just shared a blog there as well as like a resource hub of all of the resources that helped us through our NICU journey and at home. But while sharing those stories, I realized that I really wanted to put voice to them. And so the Miracle Mama podcast was birthed. And so we share stories about the miraculous uh, parenthood, um, really with an emphasis on prematurity and birth trauma. But 
we share all kinds of, you know, just miraculous stories to give people hope at a really, really dark and dismal time. So Miracle Mamas, Miracle Mama podcast, uh, my work with Marcia Dimes, um, it is all very healing for me. And uh, I pray that it is it has been helpful, you know, to those who follow me and those who trust my voice. Yeah, I love that you said um, about how when you were in the NICU, if someone told you you'd be running a podcast, you would have thought they were crazy. I kind of feel that way. It was probably like six months or a year into my recovery that I was like, I wonder if I could do a podcast. And it took a lot, a couple more years for it to actually come to fruition um, just because of rehab schedules, you know, just daily life schedules, et cetera. But just like looking back to my life only five years ago, like I never would have thought I'd be running a podcast and creating a space for perinatal trauma survivors to share their stories. Because like you said, we don't want to fear monger. We're not trying to scare anyone here. But I also think my story should matter just as much as the person who has a beautiful home birth or a beautiful hospital birth you know, maybe their birth plan is unmedicated and they have just this beautiful golden hour, et cetera. I think that, you know, these stories that are hard or these stories that have a lot of hope should be shared as well. And, you know, when I kind of reflect back on the last four years, so my daughter just turned four last month, as I kind of reflect back, like I just see so many nuggets of hope and the way that God has just saturated our lives and brought me as far as he has like there's just so much hope for you so rain is now five correct yes she is five yeah so rain is now five what would be the overarching theme of the last five years Hmm. does that make sense yes absolutely if I could put a theme to it it would honestly be I have a word but there's a scripture that I think will drive the word home Mm. um there is a scripture it is I believe the second Timothy 2 and 12 and it says if you suffer with him you'll reign with him it's not only how my daughter was named but it has been the theme I, I could not have named my daughter better if I would have had a glimpse into her journey her name is rain victoria and literally reigning is exactly what we have done from the first moment I laid eyes on her in the NICU all the other babies are quiet and bundled and she's the smallest thing in there kicking and flailing and pulling her tubes out and I was like oh she's gonna be just fine I know she's gonna be fine um to coming home and then getting sick with RSV um and ended up in the PICU on you know intubated um, her first winter was super eventful. We were in the hospital every single month and each time she would beat it and it would be like nothing ever happened um, to ending up having tumors on our lungs um, that scared us half to death, ending up on mm-hmm. oxygen, biopsies, going through radiation um, to cure like everything that we have gone through an incredible victory and has shown us how much strength and how much capacity for victory we truly have and so if I had to put a word to it it would be raining it would be raining we have rained for the last five years wow 
I literally had chills the entire time you were answering that question. Like, that scripture is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's so good. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to add to your update episode? I would end with this. If there is someone who has had a traumatic birth, um, who has had a micro preemie, who has had a child who was born with disabilities, and you're contemplating having another child, I would tell you to fully count up the cost. If your life remained as it is right now, if things never got better, could you see another child? Just like the child you have now in your life. Because we aren't guaranteed that we will have a healthy child the second time around. We aren't guaranteed that the same things won't happen. And so I went into this knowing I could have another micro preemie, that I could have another child with the same journey. And I still made the leap. And so I would encourage anyone who is considering, just consider, could you handle two of the child that you already have or the children that you already have? Um, And if the answer is yes, take the leap. Take the leap of faith. If the answer is no, then just consider and wait. Um, If you're a person of faith, I would encourage you to pray on it. If you are not, I would just encourage you to really just reflect um, on the journey thus far and just take your time to making that decision. But I have zero regrets. And it's not because everything turned out better. I have no regrets because I counted up the cost. I have no regrets because we reigned with my daughter and I had no doubt that the same tenacity and fire and advocacy and all of that that really was birthed through her story, I have it for my son because of her. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you again, Ebony, so much for your time today. I feel truly honored to have you on our podcast and share more of your story. You are so kind, Kathy, and thank you for having me. Lord, I'm so grateful to have been connected. Oh, it's truly my pleasure. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.